Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Welcome back. So glad that you've joined us. We praise the Lord for His goodness and His grace. If you, if you have a Bible nearby, please, if you would, open it to Matthew chapter 24 for our time in the Word. Also, you might also want to turn to another place tonight, Zephaniah chapter 3 in the Old Testament. It's a little bit hard to find. It's in the Minor Prophets. It's right towards the end of the Old Testament. So if you go backwards from Matthew, maybe 20 or 30 pages, depending on your Bible, you will find Zephaniah. And we'll be in Zephaniah chapter 3 later on. There's a passage there that I want to share with you that I think you'll be really blessed by. So put a bookmark in it and we'll come back to it later. Um, This is one of my favorite passages and portions of Scripture. It's really kind of one of the things that gripped me early on as a Christian, and it got me excited about the Scripture. It got me excited about the Bible and about the Word, and so I'm excited to share it with you tonight. I want to read one verse as we launch into our study, and then we'll pray together and we'll get into it. And so if you're in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, let's just read that verse together. This is Jesus speaking, and he says these words. He says, When... You, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Then in parentheses, Jesus says, whoso readeth, let him understand. And so if you didn't understand that verse, Jesus tells us not only that we can, but that we should. And so tonight we will and we're going to. So let's pray together as we get into it. Father, we want to thank you so much for meeting us here, and we want to thank you so much, Lord, for telling us ahead of time the things that are to come, that we might be informed, but also, Lord, that we might be assured as we see the world changing and and conforming to what you spoke, it confirms to us not only your reality and your truth, but that we can lean upon the testimony of your word. And so, Lord, as we come tonight to the Bible to hear from you and to see from you, Lord, what we need to for our lives, we ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would zero in our attention upon you right now, that whatever other things may be clouding our mind or taking a place in our heart that that, uh, is for you, we tonight want to give it to you, Lord, and we ask you that you'd speak to us. So, Lord, please give us ears to hear what you would say. Help us to pay attention, Lord, to to your word. And we're thankful, Father, that we have it. So, Lord, across the airwaves, across Poughkeepsie, the Hudson Valley, across New York State, and whoever else may be tuning in from wherever else, Lord, we ask your blessing and your spirit and your presence, most of all, be upon this time that we're together tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. It's kind of a survey, though I can't poll the audience by a showing of hands. But how many of you are the type of people that notice what type of siding is on a house? Whether it's wood or vinyl or asbestos or other. Are you one of those people? Or maybe you're the type of person that notices brands of tires that you see on cars when you walk through a parking lot and you'll see whether it's a Yokohama or a Michelin or a Goodyear or whatever it might be. Maybe you're the type of person that as soon as you see someone holding an iPhone, you know exactly what model and submodel it is. You just notice those things. Or maybe you're a person that you're very keen, very aware of clothing brands and clothing styles. Maybe you're that type of person. Now, let me guess, depending on your answer to those questions, if you said yes to any of them, then my bet, my guess, is that you have either bought, owned, or maintained one of those things. Because probably, like most human beings, until you had one or owned one or bought one, you probably never noticed. But then once you did, then you noticed all the time. I'm just guessing that that's true for you, as it's often true for me. It's like my dad always says to me, it's one of his favorite sayings, if you're tuning in tonight, dad, this will prove to you I do listen when you talk. But he always says, it doesn't matter until it matters. And that's definitely true with so many things to us. They don't matter to us until they matter. 
Now, in this study that we've been going through in the Gospel of Matthew, I've subtitled the, 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 the uh, series, Why It Matters. Because I purposed in my heart, and I believe that it was from the Lord, that when we went through these scriptures, I wanted to pull out the, the, the text in a way that we would see how it matters in our lives. I wanted to intentionally skip over things that were purely academic, purely theological, purely knowledge-based, And I wanted to get into the things that help us in our lives, that tell me, how do I be a parent in this world? How do I raise teenagers? Or how do I parent my parents if that's the stage of life that I'm in? Or how do I balance running a family, running a business, paying taxes, staying married, and being right in a relationship with God all at the same time? And that is a challenge that all of us face. It's things that we deal with. And so I've sought to do that. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter 24 and 25, we're dealing with the subject of end times prophecy. And I know that for many Christians, it's one of those things where you say, that doesn't matter to me. That's something that I can't really understand. It's something that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Or it's something that I'm just generally not interested in. And so therefore leave that to the scholars and I'll deal with that when it comes. That's what you say until a bomb goes off somewhere or there's some big catalyst that changes the status quo like a pandemic. And then all of a sudden something that didn't matter so much all of a sudden It matters. You want to know what's going to happen in the world. What does God have to say? And so as we've come at this time to this portion of scripture, this very much matters to us to realize what Jesus has to say about the end times and what they, uh, what's going to happen. Now, prophecy as revealed by God is actually an amazingly beautiful and precious element of the scriptures and what it gives to us and that's for two reasons number one is because prophecy really is the signature of a god who knows all things because only god can tell you details of what's going to happen before it happens and when he says it ahead of time and then we see it fulfilled it's proof to us that god is god and that his word is Reliable, And so it's his signature, it's his fingerprint, and it helps our faith, it helps us to believe. But it's precious for another reason, and that is that it provides for us insight and understanding and really comfort for our own lives. Because it helps us to know where we are in the timeline of God's spectrum, and it helps us to understand that he's in control of the things that are going on around us. I recently was running with my 16-year-old son. Um, We've stumbled onto the trails up at the 909 area, and there's 909 acres of woods and trails, and we've just been blessed uh, spending time running them. And so uh, about a week and a half ago, he said, Dad, I've got a course for us, and he showed it to me quickly on the map, and he said, this is what we're going to do. And I said, son, that looks long. He says, yeah, Dad, it's long, but it's not so bad. I said, good, let's go. So we took this run, and at about the hour and 15-minute mark in this run, I realized we were lost. Now, Rocky, I know you're listening right now, and he swears that we were not. We were lost, purely lost. And I've got to tell you something, is that usually wherein my endurance would be okay, not knowing where I was instantly tired me out. I found myself winded and At some points, even walking, I know I have to swallow my pride. I try to keep up with him, you know. But not knowing where I was became very burdensome to me. Once I recognized where I was, I found the steam coming back. And in many ways, an understanding of what God says is going to happen does the same thing for us spiritually, mentally, emotionally. When we see where we are in the context of God's great plan... It just gives to us an understanding. It gives us our bearings. It's like a point on a compass, and we understand it. And so prophecy is so precious. It's just a gift from God that we can look at and study these things. Now, the verse that we read and that we're studying tonight, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, 
is probably the most important verse in this entire sermon, this 95-verse, two chapters of red sermon that was given by Jesus, it's the most important verse. And here's why. Because it is the only absolutely identifiable event that happens in the entire description that Jesus gives in this layout of things. Everything else is kind of like nebulous. Earthquakes, pestilences, famines in diverse places, persecution, division, chaos. That's all good and and identifiable, but it's very abstract. It can happen in different ways, in different places, at different times, and for different reasons. But what Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, verse 15, is an actual event that will take place that is, in a sense, a point of reference whereby we can measure all other things. It's a place where it's like an anchor. We can get our bearings straight because of it. And what it also does, verse 15, is that it provides for us a framework or a roadmap of the entire prophetic spectrum, what's going to happen. And that's why Jesus pauses to say, let the reader understand. Because an understanding of what this is, is that important to realize where we are and where we're going. And so Jesus gives us this amazing thing. Now, one more thing before we get into the substance of it is this, is that Matthew chapters 24 and 25 is Jesus giving an answer to a question that was posed to him by some of his disciples. They said, what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That was the question. And the red verses that follow are Jesus' answer to that question. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, it helped me to learn this and to understand that these two chapters really are a three-point sermon that was given by Jesus. It's an end-time scenario divided according to how it relates to three different groups of people. First is the end times as it relates to the nations generically and collectively. And that's verses 1 through 14 of chapter 24. And so you'll look and notice that all of the things that Jesus says in that segment has to do with all of the nations, with everyone. It's universal. The second point or segment starts in verse 15, the verse we read, and goes all the way through verse 31 of chapter 24. And that is the end time scenario as it relates to just the nation of Israel singularly. So not all nations, though they will be touched by it, but he's speaking specifically to the Jewish nation. That's why, as you read through, you'll notice that everything he says pertains to them. Pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath day. If you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. It's all things that refer to Israel because it's for Israel. And then the third segment of the sermon begins in verse 32, and it goes all the way to the end of chapter 25. And that is the end times as it relates to the New Testament church, the Christian, you and I specifically. It's the end time scenario as it relates to us. And so when I learned that and began to unfold the chapter in the context of its interpretation, it really helped me to understand. And so as we're in verse 15, it's Jesus talking about the end times as it relates to the Jews. Now, don't tune this out and say, well, that's not me. I'm not Israel, and so I'll tune in next week when we talk about the church. No, this is important for you, too, because it's a time marker to help us understand how everything is going to unfold. Now, because it has to do with Israel, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on verses 16 through 31. You can read those, but I am going to take the time to go through verse 15, because that for us is extremely uh, insightful. Now, When Jesus says in verse 15, he says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoso reads, let him understand, that is the absolutely identifiable event 
that we can use to measure and map out all of the prophetic spectrum. Now, what is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet? It's a reference to Daniel's prophecy, specifically the ninth chapter. Now, I want you to understand something about Daniel and Daniel chapter 9 before we look at what this means. First of all, understand this, is that Daniel's prophecy was written between five and 600 years before the birth of Jesus. So that you understand the span of time that existed between what Daniel was talking about and Jesus, who was really the fulfillment firsthand, and then who quoted it in this verse secondhand, there was that much time. Not only that, but Daniel was written between five and 600 miles from his native land of Israel. It was written during a time when the Jewish people were not in their land because they had been overthrown by the Babylonian Empire. The citizens that lived through that siege were taken to Babylon, and that's where they lived for a period of 70 years. And Daniel was one of those. He was a prophet. He was raised up by God. But he was in Babylon during that 70 years, and that's where his prophecy was given and recorded in Babylon. So Daniel is writing not from home. He's writing abroad. He's writing from Babylon. Now, Daniel, and here's the context of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was actually reading the Bible. He was reading Jeremiah. And he read in Jeremiah that Israel would be in Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah had foretold that. And so Daniel, discovering this, he did some quick math in his head, realized that he was just a couple of years away from that 70-year mark. And so he realized that he was living in prophetically significant times. In a sense, you could say Daniel knew he was living in the last days, the last days of their captivity in Babylon. And so what Daniel did is he took the information that was given through the Bible, and he began to pray about it. And so he prayed to the Lord, he confessed their sins, he repented on behalf of the nation, and then he asked for personal insight to just know what they should be doing. So as Daniel was praying, God commissioned the angel Gabriel to go and give Daniel information and an answer to his prayer. And that information, that answer, is what is recorded in chapter 9 that we are pulling this from that Jesus references in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Now, listen to the message that Gabriel gave to Daniel. Now, just put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a moment, or on his knees. He's praying, right? And all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up, and you know it's Gabriel. And Gabriel says, hey, I'm Gabriel. God sent me to tell you what's going to happen. And Daniel, I'm sure his mind was blown. You know, whoa, Lord, you're real. You're, you're speaking. You're revealing to me. Well, here's what Gabriel said to Daniel. He gave or showed Daniel, in a sense, this isn't literally what he did, but in a sense, for your understanding, he showed Daniel an hourglass. Remember the Wizard of Oz? Remember the Wicked Witch? She had that big old hourglass. I'll, I'll never forget that image. It was burned into my brain when I first saw that movie as a child. But picture this giant hourglass filled with sand. And on the side of that hourglass is written 490 years. In other words, that's how long it takes for the sand to drain from the top into the bottom. It's a 490-year hourglass. And Gabriel tells Daniel this. He said, listen, 490 years are determined from the time this hourglass begins until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, he did not say the second coming of Jesus Christ, but what he did tell him means the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says the amount of time it will take to seal up the vision and the prophecy, that is the fulfillment of all things. So 490 years from go to 
the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. And so he tells him then that the, the, the hourglass will begin counting when the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. In other words, when that 70 years that Daniel is praying about comes to a close and the official commandment is given, go back to your land, restore and rebuild the city, that is the moment that this 490-year hourglass begins dropping its sand. But then Gabriel went on. The vision wasn't over. And here's what he said. He said, from that moment, it will be 483 years until the Messiah comes. So 483 out of 490 will pass through. And then at that moment, the Messiah will come. But then Gabriel says something interesting. He says, but the Messiah will be cut off, a reference to the crucifixion, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is very interesting because we know as we cross-reference scripture and history that the command was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem on, what is it? Eight, no, March 14th, 445 BC. You can read it in Nehemiah chapter 2. And then you cross-reference the date that Nehemiah gives with the traditional calendar, and that's what it comes out to be, March 14th, 445 B.C. Now, from that time, you can count down 483 years. It's a 360-day year. That's how they measured according to the lunar year. It's 173,880 days. And you can count down from the command... And when those days expired, you know where it brings you? It brings you to April 6th, 32 AD. That is Palm Sunday on the year that Jesus was crucified. And on that very day, Palm Sunday of 32 AD, do you know what happened? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people spread palm branches down in the path, and they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. It was Jesus' official presentation as their Messiah, an exact fulfillment of what Gabriel told Daniel concerning the coming of Christ. Now, when you read in Luke chapter 19, what happened you read that the religious people rebuked Jesus and they said, tell them to stop saying that. And Jesus declared to them, he said that if they stop, even the rocks are going to cry out because nothing's going to stop God's word from being fulfilled. And the prophecy was, is that those words would be declared when Jesus officially came. But Jesus was rejected by the people that he came to save. And so Jesus said these words. It's Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41. Listen to what happened when Jesus wrote in that day. It says that when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, at least in this your day, he calls it their day, the things which belong unto your peace, if you only knew what, what was waiting for you? What was to be given? But now. In other words, it ain't going to happen. He says, but now they are hid from your eyes. For the days will come upon you that your enemies will cast a trench around you and compass you around and keep you in on every side. And they shall lay you even with the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And here's why. He says, because you knew not the day of your visitation. In other words, Jesus was holding them accountable to the information that was given by Daniel the prophet. They should have known that that was the day because they had the prophecy. God spoke it to the very day and yet they weren't ready. They didn't recognize it and they rejected him when he came. So what did Jesus say? He said, listen, you should have known, but you didn't. 
And so now here's the consequence. He said, these things are hidden from your eyes. Now, I want you to understand this. Listen, on that day that Jesus was rejected by the people he came to save, remember that hourglass that Gabriel showed Daniel? You know what happened that day? Jesus put his foot on the top of that hourglass and he kicked it over. And it fell flat, meaning it stopped. The clock The 490 years that would pass until his second coming, it was put on pause. The Apostle Paul gives us insight into this in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. He says this. He says, but I would not have you ignorant of this mystery, brethren. Listen, that blindness. Remember what Jesus said? These things are hidden from your eyes. That blindness, in part has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Meaning that when the hourglass was kicked over by Jesus, that opened the door for Gentile salvation. And ever since that time, the church of Jesus Christ, which is made up not just of Jews, but of Jew and Gentile, slave-free, male-female, Bond, Scythian, whatever, all these people, the the bride, the church of God has been gathering ever since the Jews officially rejected Jesus Christ. Meaning that that 490 years is not currently ticking. Now do some quick math with me. There's 490 years in total and 483 passed by before the hourglass was kicked over, how many are left over? If you were here, I know that you would shout out seven, but you're not here, so I know you were just thinking that. Maybe you said it in your living room. But there's seven years left on that clock that still have yet to tick out, sand dropping out. So the big question, the $10,000 question, is when will that hourglass be tipped back upright and those last seven years flow out well the answer is given again in daniel chapter 9 daniel tells us this he says that there will be a powerful prince a very authoritative man that will be raised up that he will come out of some form of a revived roman empire And that he will confirm a covenant with many for seven years. Now that's extremely nebulous because we're not told what the covenant is (laughs) and we're not told any of the details about it. And we're also told that it will be a covenant that is confirmed, which implies the fact that a covenant was made and then it was either broken or incomplete or it just needed some more authority, something, you know, but he will confirm a covenant with many for seven years. Now we can assume by piecing scripture together that that covenant has something to do with peace in the Middle East, something that has not been accomplished by any world ruler since the rebirth of Israel back in 1948. It probably, again, will be safe safe to assume that the initial covenant will have something to do with Israel, the Jews, being allowed to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount there in Israel. Again, something that has not been done and no one's been able to broker a covenant that has allowed for that to happen. And so the covenant that will be confirmed by this ruler will allow for those things, but it is the confirmation of that seven-year time-stamped covenant that will mark the beginning of the final seven years of human history before the return of Christ and the ushering in of his kingdom. Now, there are many names in Scripture for this last seven-year period of time. The most common is the tribulation. Because, as Jesus is going to say, is that it will be a time of tribulation. You can read about the kind of things that happened during that seven years in the book of Revelation. If I just say that, you probably understand, yeah, that's going to be a time of tribulation. 
It's going to be a troublesome time. Okay, now, Daniel goes on to say, it's the last verse in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 27. Concerning this covenant and this powerful prince, the Bible calls the Antichrist, that's where Jesus comes up with the reference to the abomination of desolations. It's Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Notice what he says. It says that he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, one period of seven years. In the middle of the seven, that's three and a half years into it, he, that is this prince, this antichrist, will put an end to sacrifice and offering And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Speaking of his ultimate destruction, because he doesn't win in his pursuit and what he's trying to do. So Jesus tells us this, and this is why this verse is so critical. Because at the midway point of that final seven years that starts with a covenant... This man is going to walk into the temple of God and he's going to set up an image there that declares himself to be the God who is to be worshipped. And that is the highest of abominations. To go into God's temple and to declare that you are him when you clearly are not. Now, How do we know that's what the abomination of desolation is? The answer, again, use the Bible to interpret the Bible. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Listen as Paul explains this. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. He says, for that day shall not come, that is the day of Christ, his return, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, that's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, as though he were God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That is the abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about here in this prophecy. And that is the context that gives us understanding of how the whole end time scenario is going to play out. There's going to be a seven year period of time that is the tribulation at the end. It will begin with the revelation of this prince because of the covenant that he then is able to make. And it will, at the halfway point, be interrupted by this event called the abomination of desolations. Now listen to me. If you tune me out, tune me back in. Everything that happens in verses 16 of Matthew 24 all the way through 31 happen at that point. Midway through that seven-year period, all of the things that Jesus speaks of to the Jews. And I'm going to ask you guys to read through that passage of Scripture on your own and see what's going to happen to Israel. What I want you to understand is that it does not, those things do not apply to the church of God. And we're going to look at that and understand that next week. And that's the more important thing as it pertains to you and I. But this is important to us because it helps us understand how everything's going to unfold. So the question as we put out the landing gear and bring this highly technical Bible study to a close is what are the signs that for you and I are an indication that we are getting close to the culmination of things where this hourglass is tipped back upright in these last final seven years are about to uh, get going again and things are going to come to an end. What are they? I'm going to give you three things that you can keep your eye on. Not your eyes, your eye, one eye. Keep your other eye on Jesus alone. But you can keep an eye on these things. Number one is this, is the increase of what we spoke of last week. The increase of destabilization in world society, an increase in deception and cloudiness of information, and an increase of division amongst people. 
Jesus said that those things would be like labor pains that grow in frequency and intensity as the time gets closer. And so as those things increase, let that be for you and I a sign that we are getting nearer to this period of time that Jesus spoke of so clearly. The second thing that you can keep an eye on is this. Anything that moves Israel closer to rebuilding their temple in Jerusalem. Keep an ear open for when you hear about the peace process or a peace accord or someone who is trying to work a deal. I know that when Donald Trump first became the president, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was going to unveil this amazing plan that was going to be this breakthrough. And then all of a sudden, you heard nothing about it. I think he probably got in there and was like, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, this is going to take an antichrist to figure out this jumbled mess. You know? But listen... As Israel gets closer to that point where they can rebuild their temple, let that be a sign to you that we are getting very close to this hourglass standing back upright at the beginning of the tribulation. Number three, thing that you can keep an eye on and an ear open to is this, is an accelerated movement towards global government and a unified cashless monetary system. Those are two things that the Bible very clearly prophesies will be the atmosphere of the last day's situation. When this powerful prince comes is that he will have domination over a global government. So as you hear about things like globalism, as you hear about things like a crashing economy or a restructured economy or a cashless society or a cashless economy as you hear about these things and see these things developing understand that those are major components and parts of what will be the platform upon which all of this will take place i want to read to you i asked you to turn at the beginning of the study uh to zephaniah chapter 3. And, and the reason I, I want to turn to this passage of scripture, and I'm saying some of these things sort of tongue-in-cheek because if, if you're paying attention at all to what's going on right now, and you're watching the news, and you're staying informed about how things are being managed as we live in a time where the economy is completely shut down, and where people are losing their jobs in the numbers of the millions, and businesses are folding, and the powerful governments of the world are borrowing in the numbers of trillions in a context that can never be repaid, in a system that can never be fixed, in a balloon that began to pop that is now being inflated even more. And you, you look at, and then you listen to the voices that are saying, how are we going to fix this? What are we going to do on the other side of this? And then you start to hear some of the very powerful people say, well, we're not going to fix this. We're going to rebuild this. We're going to redo this. And, and we're, we're hearing all these voices. Meanwhile, we're trying to sift through all the other things that are going on in our life. I want you to listen to what the prophet Zephaniah has to say. Now, I'm not, I'm not like the guy that's reading my Bible 24-7. You say, who reads Zephaniah? It came up in my one-year Bible reading, and I read it, which is a miracle because a lot of times I, I honestly, I skip a lot of it. But I didn't this time. I read Zephaniah, and I was so thankful that I did because I believe that God in Zephaniah speaks directly to what our world is going through right now. The context of Zephaniah is the day of the Lord or the day of Christ or the second coming of the return, really this period of time that we've been talking about. And I want you to listen to what God says and I want you to understand that he's saying this to you. This is God's word to you. And if you just tuned in to the live stream tonight and you didn't hear anything I said thus far, but you hear what I say now, then this is a win, okay? Tune in because this is what God has to say about this period of time. Chapter 3, verse 5. Listen to Zephaniah. He says this. The just Lord is in the middle of it. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. Listen. God is in the middle of what's going on. He's not on the outside looking in. He's not pulling the strings from a distance. God is right in the middle of what's going on in our world at all times, specifically right now. And listen to what he says. He will not do iniquity. Every morning does he bring his judgment to light 
he fails not, but the unjust knows no shame. Now listen to what God says. This is very important. He says, I have cut off the nations. That's plural, that's universal, and that's complete. That's total. That means that God is saying, I am going to put an end to every single national entity. This isn't the only time in the Bible that he says he's going to do this. If you read Psalm chapter 2, it says there, talking about again the last day scenario, it says that he will break the nations of the world with a rod of iron and a potter's vessel. That's every nation of the world is going to be cut off. It all will come to an end, every single nation. Listen to what he says. He says, their towers are desolate. That means empty. Their buildings. Their buildings are empty. I made their streets waste. Do you know what the word waste means? It means empty. It means their buildings are empty. Their streets are empty so that none passes by. There's no one on the streets. You look at the streets and they're empty. There's no one on the streets. He says their cities are destroyed. I looked up the word destroyed in the Hebrew. Do you know what the word is? It means waiting. Do you know what waiting is? It's a pause. God says, I put their cities on pause so that there is no man, there is no inhabitant. Now listen to what God says. He says, I said, surely you will fear me. In other words, I'm going to bring something that's going to shake you and it's going to stir up a fear of the unknown, of the eternal God in your heart. You will receive instruction so their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever, now watch this, God says, I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Now listen, there are some voices that say coronavirus was created in a lab, it was released, this is calculated, this is, this is man, listen, listen, God says, I'm in the middle of this. And, and if God allowed a virus to come, then God allowed a virus to come. But here's what God says. He says, listen, I punished, but man corrupted. Man twisted. Man seized the opportunity. Man didn't waste a crisis. Man took what, what I did and turned it into something that he wanted to do. Man used and leveraged the opportunity to change the paradigm. Watch this. Verse 8. Therefore, okay, empty streets, cities on pause. Therefore, God says, wait upon me, says the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination, watch this, very important. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. God says this, I am going to cut off nations in their individuality and I am going to work things in such a way that nations are gathered into one entity. I'm going to gather the nations so that I can pour my judgment out on them collectively. What's the point? The point is this, is that something will happen that will end the paradigm of nations as we know it and will unify the world in some form of global government. Part of that will be a single monetary system. You may still have dollars and yen and pesos. That all might still exist, but it will be automatically translated and equalized in the current. I don't know what that's all going to look like, but God says, I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to reform this whole thing and bring it under one because that's the end times banner upon which I will then pour out my judgment. It could very well be that what we are walking and living through right now in our world is the beginnings of this paradigm shift. And here's the important thing that you've got to understand. God begins it by saying, I'm in the middle of it and I will do no iniquity. Meaning that he is going to carry us through this 
He knows right where we are. He knows right what he's doing with his church. He knows just how long things are going to be the way they are for us. And he is going to be faithful to his own. And his word to us is, wait on me. Wait on me. Keep your eyes on the Lord as you go through this. You say, well, what does all this mean? How do we wrap all this back up as we close out our study tonight? How does it boil down? You ask the question, what do I do? I'd like, you to, keep your, I'd like to keep your antennas up for, for these things to, 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 to watch as they happen because they're going to happen. But what does it all boil down to is this. I want to tell you this in closing. Is number one is do not or beware that you do not get over-consumed with the subject of Bible prophecy. Listen, this was given to us as a map. But if you stare at a map when you're supposed to be looking out the windshield, I promise you, you're going to crash. Prophecy and all of these things are a very good supplement, but they're a terrible staple. If you use this as a supplement, it can be very helpful and beneficial. But if prophecy and looking into end times things and where are we, if this becomes an obsession, then it becomes very detrimental to your spiritual health. Because you'll get addicted to the vitamin, so to speak, and you'll lose course or track of what it is that you're supposed to be doing. So don't be over-consumed with prophecy, but do become over-consumed with God. Get your eyes on Him. Get your life and your heart right. Get your family right. Get your priorities in order. Understand what you were made for and what you weren't made for and give yourself to the things that really matter in life. And let the fulfillment of prophecy, let it do this in you. That if God is this specific and this complete in the way that he fulfills prophecy, then that means that God is going to be equally as specific and complete in the way that he keeps every one of his other promises. Which means that as I take a hold of his promise to lead my life, to give me vision, to build me as a man, to help me to know how to be a dad, to help me to know how to run a business, or to know how to help me keep things going when everything else is stopped, that when he's, if he's that detailed about these other little things, how much more detailed will he be in his ability to help me to move forward in these other things that he's calling me into? And so I become consumed with him and I keep going. And I want to close by telling you this. Listen, if we are the generation that gets to see the unfolding of the end times plan or the standing up of the hourglass or the rapture of the church, which we'll talk about next week, if we are that generation, then praise the Lord. How cool would that be to stand in heaven and know that you were saved by the skin of your teeth in that way so close to the end of time? That would be amazing. But let me also say this, is that it will also be a little bit of a bummer to be the generation that sees the rapture. Here's why. Because it's almost like you're in a contest. Let's say you're playing musical chairs. You know, my kids play knockout where it's a competition where you start with 15 people and you work your way down to like one winner. And you're playing and you're playing and you're in it and you're going, you're going. And there's three people left and you're one of the last three. And then the coach blows the whistle and says, up, time's up, practice is over and everybody goes home. There's something inside where you go, wait, wait, wait. I wanted to see what would happen. I wanted to see what would happen. And listen, if we get raptured, good, awesome. But here's what we miss out on. We don't get to see what would happen. We don't get to see what would happen had God tarried and we lived out our whole lifespan, however long God wills that that would be, to see the fruit germinate out of the seed that was planted by our faithful following after him. See, I think Charles Spurgeon, 300 years ago, the preacher from all over the place, famous even still today, I think if we meet him in heaven and we tell him, hey, we were raptured, I think Spurgeon's going to be like, man, that's awesome. But we're going to look at him and we're going to see the fruit that came out of his life in successive generations. And we're going to say, oh man, that's awesome. And that's an opportunity that we will have missed. I want to quote the great theologian, Mikey from Goonies. Remember Goonies? Remember that epic scene where they were down underneath looking for the treasure, trying to save their houses? And they had the opportunity to escape the danger that they were in, to be pulled up, to be snatched up the well. 
And, and Mikey was trying to encourage his friends that were weary and wanted out. They just wanted to get raptured up the well. And Mikey looked at them and he said, hey, guys, he says, this is our opportunity. He said, that's their time, their time up there. But this is our time, our time down here. And they sent the bucket up and they stayed down below. And here's what I want to say to you, church, is that if we get raptured, if we miss out, praise the Lord. But if Jesus tarries, then we have the opportunity to live out a lifespan of faithfully following, growing, and sowing that which our master has given for us to do. And we get to see the fruit and the reward and the ripple effect of all of that for the ages to come into eternity. So I don't want to be over-consumed. I want to be aware. I want to know where I am, but I don't want it to slow me down. What does this have to do with the church? We'll find out next week as we continue on looking at what Jesus had to say. But for tonight, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us such detailed information, for giving us the comfort of heart of seeing, Lord, what's going to happen, laying out the roadmap in front of us. And we thank you for the exhortation to wait on you. And we thank you, Lord, for the clear word that you are in the middle of all the things that are happening right now. So give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Help us, Lord. Thank you so much for meeting with us in your word tonight. Let your Holy Spirit continue to speak. I pray that you would continue to lead each one of us, that you'd help us to hear your voice, that you'd help us to have discernment when we watch news or hear reports or listen to things, and that we might serve you with our whole heart and we might love you with all of our mind and strength. So we pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join with me as we close in song tonight? God bless you. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.